All right, welcome in, Outsiders. We got another great show for you tonight. The Outsider Sports Football Podcast is back. I'm Ryan Valley. We got Ben Mandel, Corey Jason, and Dylan Mel. Full cast with you. Keeping up with the latest going on in the professional football world, the NFL. The XFL had another uh, exciting round of games week two for their season. Uh, the Vipers, however, had another disappointing loss. I sat on this show a few weeks ago and said that the Vipers would be the best professional football team in Las Vegas, and they have just been awful. They've played as good as my Colts, which is not saying much. A lot of disappointing football in my life, but things are turning around. Maybe not for the Vipers, but I do want to issue an apology to all the Raiders fans out there because I'm doubling down. That's just how bad I think the Raiders are going to be this year. You dumped Derek Carr. He was the glue holding you guys together. Chandler Jones is old. You got a snake for a head coach. Josh Jacobs is leaving. You'll probably end up trading Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro away. And you're going to end up trading for Mac Jones or something to reunite with Josh McDaniels. But it's all good news because you guys will just end up drafting Caleb Williams next year. Oh, I don't know if I would want Caleb Williams, Ryan. He might be a Kyler Murray 2.0. And you can look at that as a good or a bad thing. In terms of the XFL, though, yeah, strong weekend, uh, good games. We're getting overall good play, and I think that's really the biggest thing you want to see out of a spring football league. But to your point, I don't know if the Raiders are going to be this bad, Ryan. I know you have your issues with Las Vegas and the Raiders and the Vipers aren't living up to your expectations, but wow, I don't know if the Raiders can be this bad call it a bold pick at this point in the offseason yeah i think the vipers probably the most fun team to talk about this week anyway did you guys see the the rain and the slipping and sliding they played in that was wild four combined fumbles between the teams two missed field goals the uh the vipers kicker he he went for a 23 yard field goal right just wiped out just completely just fell straight down on his butt just wild. Make imagine doing that in an NFL game, just slipping and sliding. And I mean, we've seen it kind of, but the kicker from twenty three yards just couldn't even stand on his feet and make a kick. I'm surprised we didn't see that in the Super Bowl, to be honest. No, I mean, would have been really funny to see uh, Jake Elliott on his butt like that. Oh, it just would have been funny if it was Jake Elliott, huh? Not Harrison Butker, just Jake Elliott. I mean, Butker is a little too on the nose, don't you think? Jake Elliott's done enough to us, Dylan. The point stands. Kickers sliding and falling on on their rear ends. That's that's a Colts style of football. My point stands. Vipers and Colts, one and the same. Um, Not Rod. Uh, don't even get me started on him. This week in the NFL, we started to see some things pick up. Um, only one player as the time recording this. Uh, Deron Payne, defensive lineman for the Washington Commanders, received his franchise tag. A few notable players around the league are expected to be released, or the rumors are still circulating. Obviously, none of these guys getting released becomes official until the new league year starts March 15th, a little over two weeks from right now. But Carson Wentz is one of those expected to go. And Dylan and I can can speak on, on unique terms of the Carson Wentz experience. I guess Ben and Corey can as well, facing him twice a year. But Wentz didn't work out the tail end in Philly, didn't work out in Indianapolis, did not work out in Washington. So it, it's fair to wonder where his career goes from here. Um, I've brought up 
uh, San Francisco and Miami being two teams that I don't think they don't need starting quarterbacks, but they need backup quarterbacks. So maybe Wentz now can put a few more years on his career here by accepting a backup role and just, you know, be ready if the situation comes up because Tua and then if Trey Lance is ready, we're all thinking Brock Purdy won't even play this year. So there's a chance Wentz could see action. Should he go to a team like one of those two, but for Washington, Look, it makes sense. I mean, Taylor Heineke played as good as Wentz, or if not better, and you're probably paying him a lot less. And then rookie Sam Howell in his one and only start week 18 against Dallas, he looked pretty good. And, you know, we'll see how Eric Bieniemy can help him grow. And Washington was a place Corey and I said Derek Carr could end up. That's not a place Carr's been reported to be talking to as of right now. But there's other veteran quarterbacks they could look to trade up in the draft as well. But it's clear that they have much better options and more options than rolling with Wentz for another year. So they decide let's just cut ties now, cut our losses. Yeah. Speaking as a former guy who had Carson Wentz, as his franchise quarterback, uh, one time, almost MVP all the way to downfall of the franchise for a season. It's a bit of a roller coaster ride with Wentz. Um, you know, he did have that MVP caliber season for us. And without him, we wouldn't have been the one seed and wouldn't have won the Super Bowl. So I have no remorse towards Wentz, but this was just a fall off of a cliff for him. You hate to see it. I don't think he's going to be a starting quarterback next season unless there's an injury. Like you said, Ryan, I think a backup somewhere could be good for him. I can't imagine San Francisco brings him in. If I'm being honest, I don't think that Kyle Shanahan wants anything to do with him. But I could see, you know, a gunslinger like Wentz actually ending up in Tampa Bay if they try and keep Mike Evans and try and keep Godwin. He could be a guy that, you know, has a Jameis Winston-esque season with 30 interceptions. Yeah, a report came out about Tampa being comfortable rolling with uh, Kyle Trask as their quarterback. They said there's a reason why they drafted him in the second round. But, Ben, you want to talk about one of the Giants receivers that failed to catch on? Yeah, and it's really upsetting because I was super excited when the Giants signed Kenny Galladay, and it comes out today, it looks like they're going to cut him. It's the right move. I mean, everybody who is a fan of the New York Giants, everybody who's in that building is done with Kenny Galladay. And it may be his fault, it may not be. I don't know, I'm not in the building. It seems like he just wasn't that guy that they were expecting it seemed like from people who i know uh, i knew a few people who were working on the giants sidelines during uh spring training camp last year and the comments that they had on kenny galladay is he really just seemed very full of himself and he thought he was the shit and everyone was gonna smell it he sure was shit i'll give him that he really just couldn't even get on the field when he was on the field. I mean, Corey and I were at the game when he made that uh, catch against Chicago and everybody just started cheering and going nuts because they're like, oh, hey, Galladay finally made a play. He's just been abysmal. Uh, that big threat uh, downfield deep target that we were excited for Daniel Jones to have just never panned out. And the fact that Darius Slayton played the amount that he did this year and was a favorite target of Daniel Jones's with Kenny Galladay being healthy speaks for itself. When you make that much money and you can't get on the field, 
something is going on. So I'm sure some team will take a flyer on Kenny Galladay, but it certainly would not be at the price tag that the Giants paid. Yep, Kenny Galladay, a good reminder to teams looking to bring in players from free agency, buyer beware. Dylan, you mentioned Tampa Bay a minute ago. What do you got on one of their offensive starters from the last couple of years? Yes, yeah, so a uh, big part of their Super Bowl win, in my opinion, running back Leonard Fournette. Uh, he's expected to be cut, which I do think is the right move for this team. They're clearly in a regression state. Leonard Fournette, an older running back at the end of his tenure. We saw the wheels kind of coming off last season as Rashid White passed him as the lead back, and they want to roll with, with, with White. They saw a lot of things that they liked, you know, as a fantasy football player. Rashid White's a guy that's kind of been on my radar even going into the season. I like the three-tool set that he brings to the team. He's a great pass-catching back and has some burst. I like the cuts that he makes. And Leonard Fournette was just simply put moving slower, right? You know, we know these running backs' um, lifespan at today's NFL. I think Fournette could go somewhere and be a good red zone back, maybe a power back. I could see him trying to push to be with a title team. I, funny enough, could see him back in Jacksonville, not as a mainstay, but him as a red zone back because ETN and Jamichael Hastier are smaller backs and staying in Florida, but we'll see what happens with Fournette, him and the Buccaneers parting ways. Yep, Fournette drafted in 2017 by those Jags. Corey, you have an opinion on a running back drafted a year earlier in the first round, also in the NFC. Yeah, we're going to talk about some Zeke right now. You know, the Cowboys let him eat for a little too long. He got a little too uh, a little too chunky. Lost his starting job to Pollard. Pollard broke his leg, but Zeke's cap hit's uh, pretty hefty. Now, they haven't outright said they're cutting him, but it's been something that's been known for, I, I want to say the last two years at most, maybe a year, that the Cowboys are gearing up to move on from Zeke. A broken leg is not the hardest thing to come back to for a running back, you know, especially compared to like ACLs and all that. But Zeke's got to do some soul searching, and so do the Cowboys. If the Cowboys do decide to move on from Zeke, they're going to have a small, smaller dead cap hit than, uh, than if they cut him last year, obviously. But they're going to have to hold on to some money. Where would Zeke latch on to? He's not the workhorse bell cow uh, back that he used to be. He's not really much more than a red red zone threat. He's uh, I hate to put it this way, but he's almost like a poor man's Lenny at this point. We knew what Lenny was, but what is Zeke now? Zeke needs to kind of reestablish himself. So if the Cowboys do decide to cut Zeke and move on, what do they do? Do they keep Pollard? Do they keep Zeke. We heard uh, about Jerry Jones saying some crazy stuff. Maybe the Cowboys, you know, cut Zeke and franchise tag him because if they can't have him, nobody can. Who knows? They're a oddly run organization, but Zeke's a name to keep an eye out in the running back market because there is a better than not chance he might end up being available. You know, speaking on that, Corey, uh, you mentioned the Jones family and how they run things, and Zeke will be back in Dallas next year. Um, 90% confident on that. I think they do similar to what the Eagles did this past offseason with Fletcher Cox. I think Zeke gets cut, 
and then signs a cheap deal to stay in Dallas. I think he loves it there. Dak's his best friend. We all know that. Dak Prescott will be there for a long time. Jerry Jones loves him. They'll all make it work. Zeke will be the red zone threat, maybe play a Jamal Williams-esque role from time to time between the 20s when it's a third and one situation. But Zeke's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's interesting to start to see these puzzle pieces but, uh, be put into place. Um, that is in no small part, I believe, to the NFL Combine starting. This is typically when we start to see teams making decisions about players, franchise tags being placed, players being cut, or eventually will be cut when the new league year starts. Um, it's a good opportunity for representatives from all 32 teams to come and gather in one spot and talk to each other. This is where we see trades start to form. But it's also a place for the best prospects in the country to showcase their skills. And we talk about some of these running backs getting moved, Len Fournette, maybe Zeke Elliott. Obviously, we know Josh Jacobs is in question, but there's other running back needy teams. And one of the top prospects in my eyes this year, Bajon Robinson from Texas, is going to be putting his skills on showcase this week. The combine starts. First couple of days are just for medical stuff, team interviews, getting settled. The show will start March 2nd with the 40-yard dash, the bench press, all the position drills, all that good stuff will be on television. But how are you guys thinking about the combine? You know, there were some great points brought up during media week at the Super Bowl. And one of them was from the NFLPA executive director, Demari Smith. And... The Players Association has some major problems with the Combine. And, you know, when asked about it, Smith said, we're now in an era where we know exactly how fast these guys can run, how much they can lift, how far they can jump, and do all of those things. Why do we insist on showing up in Indianapolis? It's for teams to be able to engage in intrusive employment actions that don't exist anywhere else. And that is a fantastic point. I understand that these teams are making huge financial investments in these players, but these are players who have been showcasing their talents now on film, on camera, for at least the last six, seven years between high school and college. Not to mention the fact even earlier now when things are starting. The combine started, it was when it was to get players exposure. Now, you are pulling these guys out of school, their final semester of school, whether you want to say that their degree is important or not, because you know what? It is. Their education is important. They're pulling the guys out of school. They're making them show up to, in Indianapolis for a weekend. And you know, it's really just one of those things where you're you have these teams poking around and digging up every little thing about your medical history. That's that doesn't happen anywhere else. That doesn't happen in other sports leagues. There's not a combine where these teams are able to go and bring in their own doctors and have these doctors examine you for hours just to find any little problem to decrease your value and make you worth less. Cause ultimately that's what the combine has become. Yeah, Ben, I think you made some great points there. And, you know, I do want to touch just on a couple of ones that you made. I do think it's certainly an intrusive process. And one step further, I bet even the interview process 
I guarantee there's some questions being asked that you wouldn't get in your normal interview. And I could leave it at that. And as well, speaking on your point about these guys' college degrees, you know, there's a lot of guys that make the NFL get drafted. There's seven rounds. Not all of them are star players. Not all of them are starter players. And a lot of them don't make it on the team past a year. So you know what? Their college degree does matter because even if you get that seventh round NFL contract, that type of money isn't generational wealth. You need a backup plan. And to take them away from that in their final semester does matter. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with you guys about that. These guys need to to be in class. Then this could also set up the argument that maybe there should be a program for guys to get their degree while in the league make that, you know, part of the rookie contracts is in the offseason, they still go to school or something. Obviously not play football. But it's always, you know, the smartest move to have a backup plan. And the league should really be committed and focusing on this. PR aside, it's just the right thing to do. I've always found the combine to be odd, though. You get things like uh, the wonder lick and uh, all the questions you guys talk to, like uh, – and the interviews and how they treat guys. I forget which team it was, but one coach did the did a whole interview with a quarterback prospect shirtless just to try to throw him off. That was maybe three, four years ago, I want to say. And it's odd. Now, Indy's a fun city. It's nice to, to get out there, to have all the prospects together. It makes it more of a show. I'm not sure how many fans are actually watching the combine consistently. I don't think it's something that needs to go away, but I think it should also be on a lesser level than a pro day where the players are more comfortable because you want to see them at their best, not some rigid, you know, kind of like a laboratory setting almost where guys are, where players are kind of being poked and prodded and all that stuff. Let them have a comfort level and do the combine maybe after the pro days for guys to get a second chance almost. Yeah, uh, look, it's it really is like a lab setting. And Smith had another comment that was that was pretty important too because, you know, and it feeds into that lab-like setting. As soon as you show up, he said, you have to waive every single one of your medical rights. And then you not only have to sit there and endure those embarrassing questions, but, you know, like you're having like these players in some instances spend up to like four or five hours by the end of the weekend inside of an MRI machine. And then they're evaluated individually by 32 separate team doctors. And again, the only reason why they are doing any of that is to decrease your draft value, which is asinine. You are going through this process, and very rarely you see, you know, a few guys and their their values skyrocket from the combine. Let's say if they do run, have a really good 40 time. How valuable is that really good 40 time? Who, who are the fastest guys in the league that, you know, blew everyone away with their 40 time outside of maybe Chris Johnson that made a huge impact? I mean, John Ross, he's a fast wide receiver. He's still got to catch the ball. 
they are li- the combine is literally turned into a way for these teams to get all of this medical information that they want very intrusive information that again not only do you not have to go through in a typical job vetting process but you don't have to do this in any other professional sports league it is absolutely insane and I could not agree more with DeMarie Smith and the NFLPA on this. Yeah, Ben, I thought I think you brought up a great point that even throughout all of this, there's not even much to gain in terms of the players and the teams, right? John Ross had an impressive 40 time. That got him drafted high. Where is he now? Not playing big minutes for any team. The most recent example of a guy that, really shined at the combine that I could think of is DK Metcalf and real college football fans knew DK, but this put him on a big scale because this guy clearly separates himself from the pack from his physical ability. But aside from that, in terms of recency, this combine and even to an extent, certain pro days, Zach Wilson's made him look better than he was. And look where that got the jets. I think it serves as window shopping and a lot of people forget what they saw in season in college football and are mesmerized by the combine and by pro days. Yeah, that's the big thing. You are taking the physical aspect of these players into account way too much as opposed to the actual product that you see on the field. That is what... The NFLPA is arguing it's not even about football because you have seen them play football. The NCAA is pretty much turned into a development for the NFL. I know they partnered with the XFL, but until college football players actually start foregoing college and going to the XFL instead, then it's not really a development league. You're still primarily taking players out of college football. Every single player that gets drafted in the NFL comes from college football. So you know what? You don't need the combine. You you want to see a guy throw on a pro day? Go watch him throw on a pro day. But you know what? You can go watch film of these guys. The combine was a good idea at first, meant for guys who go to the lesser schools, like uh, Carson Wentz at North Dakota State. You know, a guy who doesn't necessarily get to show off against the top talent, Josh Allen and Wyoming going out there and showing that he has this talent because there isn't that much film on him. And he didn't have a lot uh, against top tier competition. But that, again, is not what the combine is about anymore. It is literally just about these teams going in and getting as much information about these guys medically as possible. So that way they can decrease their draft value before they've even made a cent. Yeah, I just want to backtrack just a little bit about how the combine truly affects the draft stock of some players. I know DK Metcalf was mentioned. There's another wide receiver from a little before that, a couple years before that, who was going to be a day two pick. He was going to be somewhere in round two, had an insane combine, and ended up going in the uh, upper middle first round, and that's Odell. Odell really wasn't that highly thought of as a first-round draft pick before the combine. He started shooting up a little bit and a little bit, you know, from third round to second round, and 
once that combine hit and he just went off, that shot him into the first round. And I think quarterbacks aside, the combine is really good to put a lot of these skill position players on an even playing field and see just the basics go up against each other. And I think you could turn the combine into something for just skill position players. You don't need quarterbacks there. You don't really need kickers, punters, even offensive linemen don't need to be at the combine. They can have their own thing that's uniquely tailored to them. But the combine has done some really good stuff for the running backs, D-backs, wide receivers out there, even some linebackers. And it's those type of things that the combine is useful for, the things that don't always show up on film, things uh, that maybe a player decided to, once he left school, get a different trainer. Because not all schools, training staff and weight and conditioning programs put the players in the best spot to succeed. We see how Bryce Young is on his way to getting to be 200 pounds now because that's what it needs to take for him to be drafted highly. And Alabama didn't put him in that position to win. They kept him there as a string bean. But now once he's out of that system, he's able to put his body through what he needs to. And a combine is a place where he needs to show that off. Now, he's not throwing at the combine. He's going to wait till his pro day to throw, which is fine. But players that almost change body types because they're able to eat and work out the way that the pros need them to because colleges can't always follow that. The combine is helpful for them. Yeah, I think there's absolutely benefits to having a combine, but there is absolutely room for modifying it and modernizing it uh, to kind of fit more the needs of today and what the prospects today need. Ben made some great points, and I agree with a lot of it. But for me, it also serves, again, I mentioned this at the start of this topic, was this is one of the few times that reps from every franchise are in one place together and it's it's able to gather a lot of these top prospects you think about the pro days and they're scattered to all the individual schools and teams scouts their scouting departments usually have to split up and that's why you have area scouts and whatnot but this is an opportunity for everyone to sort of be in one place and i still think that serves a great purpose even if there's some lines being crossed medically or, or you know someone mentioned about an interview taking place without shirts on I, that's obviously strange or i'm nick seriani playing rock paper scissors was uh a, an odd report at first so obviously you know see what we could do with you know, subtracting some of the weirdness out of it. But, and, and Corey made a great point too about maybe we have the pro days first and then the combine. You know, this is the ultimate pinnacle because I think it serves to have both to be able to see the consistency in prospects numbers. And an important thing to remember is you're not just drafting someone because of their 40 time and that's how fast they can run. You have to remember how do all of these things translate to the game of football? That's why taking those raw numbers from the combine and then matching them up how do they do then at the pro day? Did they do better, worse, or, you know, was it too negligible of a difference to really keep in mind anything? Um, but I definitely still think the combine has its purpose. And certainly now more than ever, it's, it's, everyone's about their brand. And this is another opportunity for players to put their brand on uh, notice for teams. So, We'll move into our last topic here today. I just wanted to talk about the running back position and how you guys would go about, you know, solving it or, you know, how would, if you were a, a 
team's general manager, how would you address the running back position? To me, I view running backs like they're smartphones. They need to be in today's day and age, super versatile. They need to do a bunch of different things and they're an investment. Obviously, you know, I mean, new smartphones come out every year. So it's why is this the year I need to invest in one. And realistically, you're going to have your phone for two, three, four, maybe five years, depending on how much mileage you put on it. And that's how I view the running back position. I think a Clyde Edwards, Alaire's not going to get his fifth year option picked up Josh Jacobston. And then he had a career year in his fourth year in his contract year. So how do you guys view these running backs? Do you view them in a similar way that I do? Yeah, Ryan. Um, I think maybe we view them similarly. Maybe we don't. <laughs> the way that I, if the team is the smartphone, going off your analogy, I view the running back as the cool sticker some people have on their case. Not really needed, but if you have one, your phone stands out above against the rest. Running back to me at this point is a dime a dozen and pretty much the least important position on a football team. It's great if you have a star one, but you need them on that cheap contract. Paying a running back in today's NFL, virtually impossible if you're going to have a Super Bowl quality team. If you have a good one, it's great. But again, we just saw a guy in the Super Bowl, Isaiah Pacheco, drafted in the seventh round, dominate. It is very easy to come by them. They're great when you have them. And I like what you said about them needing to do multiple things. Three tool backs are the future, but they're not necessary, in my opinion, to having a great team. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you hit the nail on the head there, Dylan. You can't pay a running back. And I understand the Giants have a, a generational talent in Saquon Barkley, but if it's going to cost you more than $12 million a year, then you you just can't do it. You can't. And, you know, there are some big names in the draft. Uh, Robinson, the guy out in Texas, obviously he's projecting as a first rounder. I don't necessarily think that a running back is worth taking in the first round, especially when the Giants took Barkley at two overall. But, you know, Robinson really does project as that offensive focal point. So we'll have to see. But, you know, every other running back pretty much appears to be day two. You have Blake Corum in Michigan, who really he's drawing comparisons to Maurice Jones-Drew with the way he's difficult to be knocked down. There's also Sean Tucker from Syracuse. He's a day two guy. He's truly a north-south runner. He's 5'10", 210 pounds. He gets upfield and he makes plays. But the guy who I am most interested in is out of Auburn. Six foot, 213 pounds, Tank Bigsby. He is awesome to watch run the football. And when I watch him run, it gives me a lot of LaShawn McCoy vibes. He looks a lot like him, especially with the way he uses his jump cuts. So I definitely, if I, you know, my team looks like they might need a running back. If they can't keep Saquon Barkley, I would be looking at Tank Bigsby on day two. It's tough coming from a Giants perspective with all that because there was a long time, the Rashad, right before the Rashad Jennings era, even a little after, Peyton Hillis, uh, Antonio Williams, Paul Perkins. There was a lot of guys in a lot of games that all the Giants needed to do to ice the game and win it was get that one first down as time expired. You get that first down, you go to victory formation, you knee it, you win. Those were the offensive line 
problem eras, though, as well, not just the running backs. Yes, but that stopped once you got Saquon Barkley, who had just as bad, if not worse, of an offensive line because he had Nate Solder and Eric Flowers. I think Eric Flowers are still there. But a good running back is a good running back. Yes, they can be a dime a dozen, but it's not always the case, and it's harder than not to hit on one. That's why workhorse running backs aren't the future of the league. You're going to see a lot of teams do what Kansas City did, what Philadelphia seems to be perfecting. The running back by committee where you have one guy that takes, let's say, 40% of it, then the other 60% is split up by a couple other guys. Plus, you have the quarterback that's also able to do a lot of the running too now. So you're not going to look at running backs as first-round picks anymore. I think it's going to be once, and it's going to be in the later half of the draft. It's going to be tough. I don't even know if uh, Bijan Robinson makes it in the first round. He might fall to the second round because what is a running back now? Expendable. And it's it stinks, and we're seeing a major correction with the running back market where a guy like Saquon Barkley, he's going to struggle to find two and a half, $12.5 million on the open market. The Giants are offering him a very fair deal, comparable to Joe Mixon, Derrick Henry, those type of guys where Barkley is in that stratosphere. But the injury history, the soon-to-be age on top of it, it's rough. But... Uh, you just can't draft a running back in the first round unless it's like in the twenties and later, and you really don't think you have many other holes. It's going to almost be like what tight end used to be in the draft, where that's one of the last holes you plug before you go on a run. Yeah, Corey, I couldn't really just agree with you more there. I think gone are the days of running backs in the top ten, even even fifteen. I think. It's for those Super Bowl-level teams that maybe just need one more skill player over the hump. This year, Bijan Robinson is the talk of the town at running back. I like him at 27 to the Bills. They're a team that desperately needs a running game. Bijan could be a difference maker for them. But aside from Buffalo at 27, I don't see a team that would be taking Bijan in the first round, to be honest. Yeah, Dylan, running back, I mean, it, it's a luxury pick. That's what the Chiefs did with Clyde Edwards-Alaire the year they won the Super Bowl, uh, that draft following over their win over the Niners. And then he gets outplayed by free agent Jerry McKinnon and seventh-round Isaiah Pacheco. So it is it's it is what it is these days. Let's see if Bajon Robinson can put on a show at the Combine to secure a first-round grade. That'll do it for today's show. Make sure you follow along on our socials, on Instagram, at Outsider Sports Network, on Twitter, at Outsider Sports 3. Search us up on YouTube and TikTok by looking up Outsider Sports. And check out our website. we got new blogs every week on www.outsidersports.net. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Outsider Sports Football Podcast. July, eat the pussy like a ride. When I met her, she was shy. Never started to keep dry. Never first in the cry.
Friday. Where the penny has supply, ladies, Gucci's and Fendi's. But first, we got a vibe. Girl, my hand, I kind of don't tell the seal or the slide. Keep it sim, tagging arrows through my heart. I can't lie. Must confuse it for I be the one who chase until we die. Look at me. You can do better. These times are hard, just let me.